So when I was a child, my dad loved to take us on family vacations. And the first vacation I remember was in 1962 when he took us to Death Valley. But what I remember most about that vacation was the ride home. It was 13 hours from Death Valley to Eugene, Oregon. And about halfway through that ride home around Carson City, my mom threw her sweater out the window. My dad stopped the car, my mom threw the door open and she went running down into the field. My dad threw his door open and went running after her. And my sister, my brother and I sat in the car. My sister's three, I'm five, and my brother is eight. My dad manages to get my mom back in the car. We're sitting in the back seat still because we've been told to stay there. And we begin heading back home north to Eugene, Oregon. And a little while later, my sister, my mom throws something else out the window. She grabs a map and some paper and throws it out the window. And my dad stops the car again, and my mom gets out. This time, she goes into the back seat and she grabs my little sister. She thinks my little sister is baby Jesus. And she goes running and hiding behind a bush. Now, my brother and I are sitting still in the back seat because we've been told to do so. And my dad gets out of the car, goes to get my mom and my sister, and gets them back in the car. And we head north. We still have about six or seven hours to go. My dad is 31 years old. And he has three small children in the back seat, and his wife is on her way to a full-blown psychotic episode. But he gets us home safely, and we pull into the driveway, and he goes dashing in the house, because it's 1962. There's no cell phone, there's no 911. He goes running in the house to call the hospital. Well, my mom has scooped up my sister again and is running around the neighborhood because she needs to take care of baby Jesus. <laughs> so. When my dad's on the phone trying to convince the hospital that we need help, he needs help, um, my mom manages to come back to the house with my sister and she starts screaming at my dad. Later my dad would describe that as at her worst, just at her worst. But the woman on the other end of the phone could hear my mom and she says to my dad, you're in real trouble there, aren't you? <laughs> I need help. And she said, we'll send someone. And so he gets off the phone. There's chaos in my house. And there's my brother and sister, my dad, and my mom, who has now locked herself in the bedroom. And the ambulance arrives. And the medics come in the house. And my dad talks to them. And they go to the bedroom door. And they try to get my mom to come out. But you know, my mom does not want to go anywhere because she's having an experience. And it doesn't involve really what they've got planned for her. But they get her out of the bedroom. And they sort of get her to lie down on the stretcher. And they strap her down. And they lift that stretcher up. And they walk out to the ambulance. And they lift up. And they, those medics put her in the ambulance. Now my five-year-old self is standing on that porch. And I am just fractured. And part of me is just stuck there. And part of me is thinking, don't worry, what are you doing? Do not take my mom, stop that. And they close the door. And they drive off. So part of me lands in that padded cell that night with her. Part of me 
takes the drive to Salem, Oregon, where at 31 years old, she was locked up for the first time in a mental hospital. And part of me, my five-year-old self, is just locked inside. Well, my mom was diagnosed with manic depression, which I now, you know, we now call it bipolar, but I'm telling you, for us growing up, it was manic depression, because when she was manic, she was crazy, and when she was depressed, she would not get out of bed. So our life went on, and we tried to, we tried to live a normal life as best we could at 267 Roan Drive in Eugene, Oregon. <coughs> but it was interrupted by my mom's disease. And um, when it was interrupted, because my dad traveled for part of his work, he would hire a babysitter if he could, or we would go spend the night at our neighbors. And one night in particular, I remember when I was in, in grade school, I was across the street at the McBrides. And I was on the floor between Mark and Craig in their single beds, and I was in a sleeping bag, and, and they were asleep, and I, could, I couldn't fall asleep. I was, just, I was just crying. And I was just trying to scooch my sleeping bag toward the light of the hallway, where I knew at the end of the hallway, Mrs. McBride was watching TV, and, and maybe she would notice and come hold me. Well, you know, I eventually fell asleep. She didn't realize that. And um, the next morning, I got up and I went to school. And I didn't talk to any of my friends about it, what was going on. And I came home, and I'd write a letter to my mom. You know, dear mom, I hope you're feeling better. <laughs> dear mom, you'd be proud of me. I helped Mrs. McBride make diner tonight. <laughs> I hope you like the rabbit's foot I sent you. It's supposed to bring good luck. So time went on, and in the early 1970s, they discovered lithium. And that was a miracle for my mom, because the minute she started taking lithium, she never went crazy again. But there were a number of incidents in between that 1962 and the early 1970s where she was hospitalized. But when they had discovered lithium, I had already discovered drugs and alcohol. Because I was tired, really tired. I think, as was everybody in my family. But, uh, well, drugs and alcohol, they worked for a while. And then they, they didn't work so well, so I went and got therapy. But you know, it, it's not recommended to go to therapy when you're taking drugs and you're still drinking heavily. <laughs> so then I got into recovery. And then, um, and then I went back to therapy because I needed some therapy. And then I, you know, I'm in my early 30s at this point. I'm thinking, I'm picking myself up. You know, I'm, life is good. I, I have, you know, a safe home. I have a, a decent job. I have good friends. And, and, uh, and then 40 years after that evening on the porch, we find out my mom's dying. My mom's dying because she made a decision to go off kidney dialysis. She's on kidney dialysis because 30 years of lithium destroyed her kidneys. But she would tell you in a minute that was a good trade, and she would do it again. So my mom lives in Wyoming at this time, and my sister lives in Wyoming, and my brother and I fly in. And I'm thinking on the flight there, this is, you know, we're lucky. This is great. I mean, we know ahead of time we can go be there. In a very intentional way, we can be there for our mom. And uh, it's the right order of things. And so we, we gather around her bedside and, and you know, we're, we're being a family as best we can, but we're sort of our ages and also our ages 
uh, of three and five and eight years old, but we're also being adults and, and we're telling stories and we're, we're eating food like crazy because there's no special diet. So my sister's just cooking fried chicken and banana pudding and we're just eating and my mom, all my mom's favorite foods. And um, seven days pass and the night comes that she's dying. And you know, we'd asked the nursing home, we said, Should, what about hospice? Should we bring hospice in? And they said, no, we can, we can take care of the end of life issues. And we said, well, what's it like when you die from kidney failure? And they said, well, she'll just, she just won't wake up. Well, neither of those proved to be true. And, uh, and the night she was dying, she was in a lot of pain. And, and morphine was parceled out. And, um, and, it, and, and as the evening went on, it just, it, she was just writhing in pain. And, and I was, I could not separate myself from her pain. And I was back on that porch and I was fractured at five years old and at trying to be 45 and trying to be present. My sister was attending to my mother beautifully. And it couldn't stay. Um, and when I left, my sister was lying down in the nursing home bed with my mom and had her arms around my mom. And, uh, and my mom died that night in my sister's arms. And, and the, my, my sister called us around 4 a.m. And, and I went back to the nursing home and, and I walked into the room where my mom was and I'd never seen a dead person before. And uh, there she was and, and and I was like, I know that you're my mom, but I can tell that you're not there, but I still walked forward. And I, and I touched her hand and I, and I kissed her on the forehead. And I said, you know, I always wanted to be there for you. I always wanted to save you. I just couldn't stay last night. And I, and I walked out of the room. And as I walked out of the room, I thought, you know, there's just always going to be a part of me that's on that porch. And I closed the door. And it's been almost 12 years and I never talked to my sister about that night because I felt so much shame about not being able to stay. And last week, because I decided to share with my sister this, what was happening and what I was doing here at this venue, and I told her the story. <laughs> my sister is no baby Jesus, I can tell you. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> she absolved me of that shame. <laughs>